Numbers chapter 22. We have been waiting for this. Let's pray and get right into it. Our gracious God, as we have worshiped in song, we now worship in study. We love your word. We are grateful for your revelation to us and any chance to open your word, to have it read, to have it proclaimed is a delight because you are pleased to send your Holy Spirit to do an effectual work. So we pray that you would be pleased to do that now, that the Holy Spirit would come, dwell in us, that he might bear witness to this reading and to the proclamation of your word, that we would receive it as your word and that we would go out different than when we came in because of you. To this end, as always, we pray for the preacher, knowing that he is not worthy, but by your grace, he is able. And so it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. I want to read Numbers 22 as one whole narrative because it's just one great narrative. And as we do, uh, three characters uh, that we'll see, we'll see Balak, uh, the king of Moab at the time, uh, Balaam, this prophet, and then the surprising donkey. But also see in this three encounters between Balak and Balaam uh, and a third encounter that has kind of a threefold encounter that involves our surprising witness of the donkey. So listen to God's perfect and wonderful word from Numbers chapter 22. Then the Israelites traveled the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. The Moabites said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the river in his native land. Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the country. For I know that those you bless are blessed and those you curse are cursed. The elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. When they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. Spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite princes stayed with him. God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men who with with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. A people that has come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But God said to Balaam, Do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. The next morning, Balaam got up and said to Balak's princes, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite princes returned to Balak and said, Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak sent other princes, more numerous and more distinguished than the first, 
They came to Balaam and said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me his palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now stay here tonight, as the others did, and I will find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, Since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. Balaam got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes in Moab. But God was very angry when he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between two vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it, so he beat her again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and he was angry and beat her with his staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey, you have made a fool of me. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord, standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. The angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If she had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared her. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. Balak said to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? Am I really not able to reward you? Well, I've come to you now, Balaam replied, but can I just say anything? I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. Then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath-Huzoth. Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the princes who were with him. The next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal, and from there he saw part of the people. So much to see uh, in this, and we'll see it now and then in a couple weeks to come in the oracles that Balaam will deliver. What I want to do is I want to paint a picture first of these characters. And when you hear a story that involves a talking donkey, uh, you end up going to some other key references. 
like the movie Shrek that also has a talking donkey. Now, if you haven't seen the movie Shrek, don't worry, you're not going to be lost. I'm not going to do an exposition of the movie, but an exposition of Numbers 22. But if you do know the movie, you'll be able to identify a little bit. In the movie Shrek, Lord Farquaad is the king who sets the story in motion. But he's a very minor character. In fact, he is caricatured as a minor character. He's a tiny little man with a big head. The same is true with Balak, who is the king of Moab. In fact, verse 4 underplays his role by calling him king of Moab at that time. Now, back in chapter 21, Sihon was called the king of the Amorites. Og is called the king of Bashan. Earlier in chapter 20, we saw uh, Kadesh, the king of Edom. But here, Balak is simply the king of Moab at that time a minor character and a minor role in his temporary nature. And so he's a nervous little man who is worried unnecessarily about holding on to his kingship. Verse 1 tells us that the Israelites were on the plains of Moab, camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. But Moab is not the promised land. That's not where Israel is headed. The promised land is that which is occupied by the Canaanites. And so Israel is intending to cross the Jordan into Jericho and go out of the plains of Moab. So Moab has no need to be concerned. That's not where they're heading. But Balak saw what Israel had done to the Amorites, defeating Sihon and Og and taking that land, which was part of the outskirts of the promised land. And so Balak and Moab with him have become terrified, filled with fear. In Shrek, Lord Farquaad created fear where no fear was needed. In Numbers 22, Balak has created fear where no fear is needed because Israel was no threat to Moab. In our world today, Those who are opposed to God and opposed to God's people create fear where no fear is needed. People opposed to God and God's people fear that we are a threat. When we are not a threat, we are to be a blessing to the world. Enemies of God fear Christianity and Christians having influence in the public sphere. That's why it is that we've seen in our world increasingly Christians being told to keep your religion to yourself. Others can have their religion out in the sphere, but we're to keep our religion private. Now, some of this, unfortunately, has been warranted because of those who, in the name of Christ, pursue things that are not of Christ. Historically, everything from the medieval crusades and witch hunts, the days of the KKK, bombing of abortion clinics, murder of people in the name of Christianity, all of that is anathema. Opponents of God out of fear, may instigate difficult situations, as we see with Balak. How Christians respond to such instigation is important and a key part of this passage. And so that takes us to the character of Balaam laid alongside the character of Shrek, who is, of course, the main character in the movie, the big green ogre with a Scottish accent. Balaam, the pagan prophet for hire, Now, both Balaam and Shrek are major characters through whom the story takes place. And in both cases, it's sort of unclear as to whether or not they're good guys or bad guys. Shrek is basically portrayed as a a lovable, goofy character, but not the typical hero. And it's universally asked whether or not Balaam 
is a good guy or a bad guy. Ultimately, he does proclaim the oracles of God and does what God tells him to do. That seems good. And yet, Scripture, every reverence to Balaam throughout Scripture, paints him in a negative portrait. Earlier in the service, we read 2 Peter 2, which highlights Balaam in a chapter about false teachers. and says, false teachers have left the straight way, wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. Balaam is referred to in passages in Deuteronomy, Joshua, Nehemiah, Micah, uh, Jude, and also Revelation, all viewing him negatively. In Shrek, the ogre is sometimes good, sometimes bad. In Numbers 22, sometimes seems that Balaam is good, seeking the Lord, and later proclaiming his oracles, and yet scripture consistently identifies him in a negative way. And is it not the case in our world and even among ourselves that we are a mixture of good and bad? Some of the best people I have ever known in my life are unbelievers. And some of the worst people I have ever known in my life are believers. Not just professing believers, but genuine believers who still have issues, as we all do. Right? We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We also know that he who began a good work will bring it to completion. And so the church is made up of people who are works in progress. We are hypocrites and sinners. We still have a ways to go. We're a mixture of good and bad. We're in process. Whether we're truly redeemed and being sanctified is important and a key part of this passage. And so that takes us to our favorite character in both Shrek and in Numbers 22, Donkey. The Shrek donkey is goofy, but helps Shrek to be successful. In Numbers 22, Donkey is the only character who is portrayed as consistently faithful and good and makes the narrative both very funny and deadly serious. It is relevant that the faithful character is a donkey, not a noble eagle. It's not a stately lion or a valiant steed. It's a donkey, or in older English terminology, an ass. Now, I don't say that to be crass, but to make the point. The word ass has become a perverse term, a term of derision, calling someone an ass. But this is the etymology of that, that we're calling someone an ignorant donkey. That Balaam's ass was the one who recognized the Lord and responded rightly is humorous and humbling. Our earlier reading from 2 Peter 2 picks up on this, that the false teacher Balaam loved the wages of wickedness, but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Now, do you all appreciate how good I'm being right now? Because there are just so many jokes that I want to start telling at this point. Now, in the movie Shrek, donkey is a fun and faithful character. In Numbers 22, Donkey is a fun and faithful character. In our world, we are to be fun and faithful characters, especially when opponents of God and God's people instigate and when people respond with a mixture of good and bad. The Lord wins out in the end, and we know this to be true, and that's important and a key part of this passage. 
So having seen these characters, let's walk through the three interactions that Balaam and Balak have and the three encounters that Balaam has with God. And so before we return to the unexpected wisdom of Balaam's ass, we need to see it as part of those three interactions and three encounters. First, Balak, the nervous little king of Moab at that time, sends messengers to Balaam, who's this prophet for hire, who uses divination and other pagan techniques to sell his services. Balak seeks for Balaam to come and to speak a curse onto Israel, a prophetic word of cursing over the nation of Israel, and wants to hire him for this purpose. Now, we might think that this in itself sounds ridiculous. Really, you're going to hire somebody to come and say a word of cursing, and you think that's going to somehow have some impact? But we do the same thing. We curse people we hate. We invite others to join us in cursing people we hate. It seems the entire media world these days is all about cursing and criticizing people who are hated. People are hired to speak words of cursing and criticism, and we buy into that whole thing. Back in Genesis chapter 12, when the Lord first called Abram, the father of all nations and the father of the nation of Israel, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Balak intends to curse Israel. That's not going to go well. (laughs) Balaam understands what Balak is hiring him to do and tells the Moabite princes to stick around so that he might bring you back the answer the Lord gives me. Now, the fact that Balaam refers to the Lord is not an act of faith, but is simply a reference to his divination techniques. He seeks the gods. In this case, he's going to include the named God of the Israelites, the Lord. And verses 9 through 11 contain the full encounter, while verse 12 contains Balaam's carefully edited response to the Moabite princes. The Lord begins by asking Balaam, who are these men with you? Not because the Lord doesn't know who they are, but because the Lord is setting up the real question behind this whole thing. Who are you going to follow, Balaam? Are you going to follow people? Or are you going to follow the Lord? Who do you fear? Whose approval are you seeking? The people or the Lord? And so the Lord makes it clear, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on these people because they are blessed. But that's not what Balaam tells the Moabites. He does not tell them, dude, these people are blessed. There's no way I can curse them. You shouldn't either. You need to clear out of here. No, what he says is, go back to your own country. The Lord has refused to let me go with you. Kind of sounds like when little kids say to their friends who ask them to come out and play, I can't go. My dad won't let me. He says I have to do my homework first. Even though dad's been telling you to do your homework all weekend so that you could go out and play later, right? but pass the blame. So Balaam does not make it clear that the Lord will not let him curse Israel. He leaves the matter open. And the princes simply report to Balak that that Balaam refused to come with us. And so we come to the second interaction as Balak responds by offering more princes, more status, more money to convince Balaam to come. 
And verse 18 sounds like Balaam is being noble. Even if Balak gave me this palace filled with silver and gold, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. But if he was truly faithful, he would have made it clear, I cannot come now, I can never come, because I cannot curse these people, they are blessed. Instead, Balaam tells the princes, stick around. Let me get another word from the Lord. Clearly, he is hoping to get a more favorable word this time. Do we not do the same thing? The Lord clearly speaks by his word. And yet how easily we seek our feelings and our personalities, some sort of spiritual ecstatic something to come alongside God's word and to maybe tweak it and shape it and shift it a little bit. Balaam does not make it clear, even though the Lord does. In verse 20, God says to Balaam, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but only do what I tell you. And it sounds here like God has changed his mind. But remember the real question behind all this is, who are you going to follow, the people or God? And the NIV translation, unfortunately, leaves out the conditional force of God's statement. Most other translations leave it better intact, like the ESV. If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. In other words, if mere men have come to call on you, and if you intend to follow people, then by all means, go with them. Doesn't matter what I say anyway, does it? But if you intend to follow me, then I've already made my position clear. So know that if you're gonna go and be my voice, people, it's gonna be to bless and not to curse, and that's not what you were hired for. Balaam is playing the part of the politician. He's going to try and please everybody. He's going to kiss babies while stealing their lollipops, right? He's going to try and appease the gods with sacrifices and whatever else he does, while with sleight of hand and sleight of speech, also try to appease Balak. He's going to try and pull off a masterful political move. And that brings us to that third encounter with God, causing Balaam's humility by the wisdom of his ass leading to the third interaction with Balak. And this third encounter with God involves three encounters, showing the donkey is wise and showing Balaam as the true ass. Verse 23, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, she turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat her to get her back on the road. Verse 25, When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat her again. Verse 27, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam and he was angry and beat her with a staff. The donkey is wise. Balaam is the ass. The reader gets this even before the shocking revelation of verse 28. The Lord Open the donkey's mouth. And the donkey says to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Now you would think that your donkey suddenly talking to you would at least give you pause to reflect for a moment and think, okay, something might be going on here I should pay attention to. But no, Balaam gives no pause as he is the true ass answering his donkey by saying in verse 29, you have made a fool of me. Oh, the irony. If I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. My ass is making an ass of me. 
My solution is to be an even more ignorant ass to my ass. That really is what the book of Numbers is saying. I know, right? So the donkey now speaks words of logical wisdom to Balaam in verse 30. Am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Uh, No, (laughs) not really, no. And then here it comes in verse 31. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. And he bowed low and fell face down. Balaam has been utterly humbled and he now realizes that he has been the true ass. So who is the major character in this narrative? It isn't Balak, the tiny king with a big head, like Lord Farquaad. It isn't Balaam. He's at best a mixture of good and bad, trying to figure it out as he goes, like Shrek the ogre in need of a good humbling. And it isn't even the donkey who is still just a donkey. The most major character of this narrative is the Lord. The Lord is the one who has brought his people to the plains of Moab, fresh off of two unlikely victories over Sihon, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and over the Canaanite king of Arad. The Lord has made Balak king of Moab at that time, such that Balak instigates. The Lord met with Balaam three times in that threefold third encounter. The Lord caused the donkey to talk and to see the angel of the Lord. And the Lord has caused Balaam to see the angel finally and to be humbled in order to cause Balaam to do what we see him do in the rest of chapter 22 and then the oracles that we'll hear in chapters 23 and 24. So let me drive home some particular application. The Lord will act in unexpected ways and speak from unexpected people. In God's perfect providence, even threats and trials are by his hand. The Lord causes all things, and yet he is never the author of sin, but he is the creator and redeemer God, so that by his works, his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving and governing all his creatures and all their actions. We might not like the circumstances that we face in our life, but they are orchestrated by God who is doing more than we realize so that we realize we cannot control God like Balak and Balaam are trying to do. And then God speaks from unexpected people, like a donkey in this case. Now, this doesn't mean that God speaks new revelation from people to us, but that unexpected people will surprisingly speak God's word to us. I have had the great privilege of studying under some of the most uh, incredible, world-famous biblical scholars and theologians. And yet, those who have surprisingly taught me profound truths again and again are kids. My own kids, that when we would do Bible and catechism, and they would ask these incredible questions, and they would offer these insights that would just blow me away. And listening still today to the children of our church share their observations 
as they explore God's word and seek to understand it in real life, and as they make those observations and insights and share their questions and their thoughts, I am again and again instructed by our children. And then there's also times that unbelievers have brought up a scripture reference into a conversation that truly challenged me, my thinking and my life, and I was made better because of it. And so the Lord will act and speak in unexpected ways because the Lord is determined to bless us. The trials of life in the hands of the Redeemer will turn into great blessing. The blessings of life often turn into idols. We seek to find meaning and hope and blessing in life in the blessing itself. And so we're disappointed when it doesn't deliver. We seek significance in the things themselves rather than seeing the things as blessings from God to be received with thanksgiving and stewarded to his glory. Think about it this way. Are we any better than Balaam? Do we not also occasionally turn to false gods and idols and entertain the thoughts of false teachers and fail to see the Lord? Are we not at best a mixture of good and bad? How do we escape judgment for this? Jesus Christ. Jesus, who has taken the curse aimed at us for our sin. Jesus, the divine sword that was plunged into him because of his love for us, plunged into him instead of us. The Lord is determined to bless us, not because of our faith. That's the prosperity gospel. The Lord is determined to bless us because of Jesus Christ. Because of what Christ has accomplished, we are blessed. Whether by difficult trials, whether through blessings, the Lord intends to bless us and to continue to humble us, that we might see it and receive that with thanksgiving and steward it to his glory and for the blessing of the world. So are there opponents of God and of God's people who will instigate actions against God and his people? Yes. Will they successfully defeat God and his people? No. Opponents often act out of fear and self-preservation. We ought not respond in kind. We ought not to respond in fear and self-preservation. Rather, we respond as those who know it is God's intention to bless his people. Therefore, we can respond to opposition with love for God and love for neighbor and even and especially love for our enemies. May the truth then set us free. Amen.